Much like last week, I, uh, I want to begin with a story. And this is the story of a, a mother and her three children. And she had two sons and a, and a daughter. The son was the oldest and the other son was the youngest and the daughter was the middle child. And over the years, she, the mother did her best to, to raise these children in the ways of the Lord. She took them to church every week and, and tried to instill in them the values um, of Jesus. Over time, the, the mother grew sick and she languished for a few years, deeply ill, and she passed away at an untimely age. The daughter continued in her faith, continued going to, to church, but it was a kind of a, a sort of a lukewarm faith, but nonetheless, she kind of stayed the path. The younger brother, in his grief, cried out to the Lord, reached out to the Lord, drew closer to the Lord. And the oldest brother grew angry and distant towards God, began asking how a, a good and just God could let this happen, and eventually came to the conclusion that a good and just God could not let this happen, and so pushed God away. And chose to believe that God does not exist. Those three siblings displayed a, a classic example of what we do as human beings in the face of, of loss, of grief, of suffering. We all have a, a choice we can make when life deals us these cards. And sooner or later, life will deal us some of these cards because... We're human, and life is tough. So when we get to this piece of scripture this morning, we get, we get a perfect example of how we can look at the issue of, of loss and suffering and grief. Um, it's it's an, an amazing piece of scripture, one that most people are somewhat familiar with, the story of Lazarus. Even if you're not uh, somebody who's a church person, you, you hear the name Lazarus and you associate it with resurrection, with coming back to life. It's just the word, you know, there are movies, the Lazarus Project, and all these kind of things associated with Lazarus. And <clears throat> as I was preparing the sermon this week, I, I thought, well, it, it is a long piece of scripture to be reading in church. And I thought, well, hang on a second, we're a church. We're supposed to love scripture, right? It's 44 verses, and there was no way I could see to chop it up without losing something, without losing some of the nuance of this incredible narrative that we read here. It's incredible because what it shows is, it shows us Jesus' very human side, which we can all relate to, and then it also shows his awesome majesty as God through the power of resurrection. So let's take a look at this passage. I want us to unpack it a little bit this morning and see, see how we can apply this and, and use it to help us and, and to minister to us when we go through times of grief and loss. So the, the story begins by telling us that Jesus is informed that uh, Lazarus is sick. And, and we get the most unusual reaction from Jesus. It says, so Jesus was informed Lazarus was sick, so he decided to stay where he was a couple more days. And you read that and you think, what? Come again? If that was any of us and we heard a dear friend who was sick, what's the first thing we do? We drop everything, I'm in the car, I'm on my way. But instead, Jesus 
hears the news and just says, okay, guys, we're going to hang around for a couple more days. We'll get to Lazarus in a few days. And right there is, is really the first thing we can learn here, which is that <clears throat> Jesus knows and sees something that we do not. He sees the overall picture. He knows that this isn't going to end in death, that actually it's going to end in God being glorified. But if you're just looking at the facts on the ground, this looks like Lazarus is, di- uh, is, is sick, he's dying, and Jesus is doing nothing about it. The disciples, they don't know the severity of the sickness. So they're, you know, the <laughs> typical disciples, they're like, well, maybe he's sleeping or, you know. And Jesus finally has to lay it out to them. Guys, he's not sleeping. He's dead. This demonstrates to us, it shows that Jesus has supernatural knowledge. There are things he knows that we cannot know. And it also shows that Jesus is in control. That he has a plan. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. But for his disciples and for Lazarus' relatives, it looked like nothing was planned and nothing was in control. So finally Jesus decides to make his way to Bethany, which is a couple of miles from Jerusalem. Jesus had been hanging on the outskirts because it had become dangerous for him to be near Jerusalem. He comes to Bethany. And here we get a perfect example of two different human responses to, to loss, to grief, to suffering. It says that Martha went out to greet Jesus, but Mary stayed at home. And the, the two sisters, they're, they're almost like polar opposites. You know, Martha is the very pragmatic one. Okay? When, when, you, when you're dealing with loss and grief and things like that, there are many reactions people can have. But what I've noticed um, as my work as a hospital chaplain is when the family arrives at the hospital and they've just lost a loved one, there will be different expressions of grief. Some people will be, will be crying and, and beside themselves. Some people will be quiet, want to be on their own, stand away from the family. And then there's always the pragmatic one who says, okay, we need to get this done, we need to do this, we need to call this person, we need to... And it's, they're the pragmatic one, they're the Martha. And we need Marthas because things need to get done, right? But it's actually their way of dealing with the grief as well. And so Martha here, um, she, if you remember from Luke 10, when Jesus was visiting Martha and Mary, and Martha was doing all the housework and getting the food ready, and Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, and Martha's like, Mary, come on, I need some help. And Jesus says, chill. Mary's actually doing the wiser thing here. But she's the pragmatic one. But Mary, she's the more sensitive one. She's the one who's hanging on every word Jesus was saying and teaching. And Mary, she, she's hurt. She's disappointed. She's disappointed in Jesus. She knows who he is and what he's capable of. And he wasn't there. That declaration that Mary says, she says, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. It's a cry that I think echoes out for many of us in those moments. We're like, Lord, if you had been there, this wouldn't have happened. Why did this happen? 
And you know, sometimes it's okay to have feelings of disappointment, to have feelings of hurt, to, to be angry at God. We think that we can't do that. We think, oh, that's, you know, that's simple, to be angry at God or to be hurt or to feel disappointed. If you think that, read the Psalms. The Psalms are full of lamentations and cries out to God. How long? When will you help? To be in that place, at least initially, you don't want to stay in that place of hurt and anger and resentment. But you know what? It's better than being indifferent and numb. There are many people in the world who are indifferent and ambivalent to God. And that is actually far more dangerous. That's how a hardened heart begins. It begins with indifference. Because you see, indifference doesn't care. It's, 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 it's neither angry nor happy or in love. It is just like, you know what, I don't care. At least when you're feeling angry and hurt or disappointed, it means there's still some emotion and connection. The trick is not to walk away from Jesus in those times, but to run towards him. You know, when you think about it, any relationship that's worth its salt is going to have its ups and downs, right? Many of us in this room are married or have been married, have gone through relationships, and um, there's times when you're going to yell at each other, you're going to shout at each other, you're going to weep together, you're going to hug, you're going to embrace. These are signs that you care, that you have some fire, there's some passion in the relationship. It isn't this indifferent relationship. It's hard to be disappointed by someone you don't care about. We only get disappointed by people we actually care about and whose uh, opinions and thoughts and feelings matter to us. And so it is with the Lord. A relationship with the Lord will involve all of those emotions in your life. There'll be joy, there'll be thanksgiving, there'll be offerings of love, there'll be worship. And yes, there will be times when you feel angry and you feel hurt and you cry out, you get angry. It's okay, I've been there, trust me. But the main thing is you keep that relationship going. You don't walk away. So while Mary's reaction is one of, of initially, anyway, hurt and disappointment, Martha's reaction is, is, is different. She's the pragmatist. And um, I think there's something interesting to learn here because Martha says, she also says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then she adds something very important. And she says, even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So in her moment of grief, trying to deal with the loss of her, lo of her brother, she's saying, but Lord, even now I know, I know that God will answer you. And the dialogue continues in verses 23 to 27. And these, these are some of the most amazing verses in this whole passage. They're almost like the center of the passage in a way. Um, it's an amazing exchange and statement of faith from Martha. In verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. So she's not quite understanding what Jesus is, is saying here. She's like, look, I know eventually he's going to come back. But Jesus is actually talking about something more immediate. And he continues in verse 25 and says, I and the resurrection and the life. 
The one who believes in me will live even though they die. So even though you die, even though you leave this earthly plane and this body rots and decays, if you believe in Jesus, you will live. And he continues, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So with that belief in Jesus, we ultimately will never die. This body may fall apart and decay in the ground, but that does not mean that we die. And then he asks Martha, do you believe this? And she replies, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. What a stunning conversation right there. It's not been four days since her brother died. And she's saying, Lord, I still trust you. I still believe in you. She doesn't yet understand what is going on. Why Jesus delayed coming. But she puts her trust in him nonetheless. Are we able to do that? There's an interesting difference of approaches here that Jesus has towards Martha and Mary. Martha runs to Jesus when she sees him approaching. Jesus calls out to Mary. When Mary stays at home, Jesus asks for Mary. Where's Mary? Send her to me. Now when Mary cries out, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus' reaction is quite different to the one he gave to Martha. And again, this shows Jesus' sensitivity to each and every one of us. We are all unique. Beautifully, uniquely made in the image of God. And Jesus knows exactly how to speak to each one of our hearts. We're all different. And we all deal with things differently. So with with Martha, we just heard that amazing exchange, that conversation they had. With Mary, there's no conversation. The passage tells us, when Jesus saw her weeping, that's Mary, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. That word, troubled and deeply moved, the original, the Greek word, which is what the New Testament, the New Testament is written in Greek, the, the original words, they have a variety of meaning, of nuance that we kind of lose in the English. But it, it, it's a meaning to have, uh, it causes movement by shaking or stirring. It means to cause inward turmoil, unsettle mentally and spiritual agitation. The New Living Translation Bible translated as a deep anger welled up in him. So I want you to I want you to picture that Jesus he arrives on the scene and he sees Mary weeping and he sees all the friends and family weeping and Jesus looks around and he he's literally he's shaking with anger. He's livid, he's furious at what is going on. Why is Jesus so upset? Why is he so angry? Well, I believe there are three main reasons. Number one, Jesus, he's deeply moved in spirit and troubled because of the grief of his friends and the devastation caused by death. These people were his friends. 
And Jesus, he's a human being like you and I. And when he sees his friends grieving and suffering, he grieves and suffers with them. He weeps with them. We have that, that shortest sentence in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. Secondly, Jesus is fully God, but also fully human. And so it experiences all the emotions we do. He was upset for his friends, but he was grieving himself. Lazarus is described in verse 3 as the one you love, the one Jesus loves. So this wasn't just, you know, an acquaintance. This was a deep, dear, beloved friend of Jesus's. And he was upset because Lazarus was dead. And the third reason, I believe Jesus was troubled because death is a result of sin and was never part of God's original plan. You see, we were never originally created, any of us, to experience death. That's why it feels so wrong to us. That's why it feels so alien to us. Deep down, we know. We know it's wrong. We know there's something really wrong about death. You know, even people who who don't believe in God, I think know deep down there's something deeply wrong with it. And sure, they might tell you, well, it's just part of nature. It's, it's the cycle of life and death. That's what happens. But you know what? Why do they cry? Why do they grieve? If that's all it is, if it's just part of the way things are? No. Jesus is shaking with anger because he's saying, how dare you? How dare you take a life that I created? Of course, we know. The death has no power over Jesus. That's why he came. He came to take away the power of death. And in just moments, we're going to see Jesus' power and sovereignty over death be manifest. Jesus, it says he was still angry, still deeply moved in spirit, says to, says to Martha, remove the stone. And I can just imagine Jesus right now, still, he's angry, and he's saying, remove the stone. Move that stone out of the way. And Martha, Martha objects. She says, Lord, it's, it's been four days. It's going to smell really bad. You don't want to do this. And isn't that funny? Because just moments ago, this was, moments ago, this was the same Martha who just said, Lord, I believe even now you can do anything. And moments later, when faced with the reality of having to actually make a concrete statement of faith, she flip-flops. How human is that? You ever flip-flopped? I've flip-flopped, I know that. One moment you're full of faith that anything can happen, and the next moment, when you actually have to do something about it, you're like, well, Lord, uh, yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's not such a good plan, perhaps I'll just, uh, yeah. So human of us, right? This is why I love this story, because it really highlights our humanity with the Lord. So what's going on here? Why, why is Martha, why is she so hesitant for Jesus to pull back the stone? Well, I believe she is allowing the stones to act as a barrier to her faith. And I want to ask us a question. How many of us have stones in our lives 
that we don't want the Lord to pull back. How many of us have stones that are barriers to a deeper relationship with the Lord that we don't want him to pull back because we're afraid that if he pulls back that stone, he's going to be repulsed by the stench, that he's going to be repulsed by the death and decay. We're saying, Lord, Lord, don't please don't pull back that stone. Not that one. Not that one. Please, you don't know what's behind there. Of course he does. But Lord, just please don't. It, it, it smells really bad. If you knew some of the stuff in my life, some of the, some of the bad stuff going on. These stones act as barriers to our faith. They act as barriers to God working in our lives, to transforming us. Because you know what's behind those stones when we let God pull it back? It's not death and decay. It's life. Resurrection. New life. But we have to let God pull the stone back. You know when something smells bad, right? It's maybe it's in your room. Uh, don't blame it on your husband. Um, perhaps it's your fridge. There's something bad. It's one of the first things you do. You have to open the door to air it out. Because otherwise, that smell just becomes self-contained. You know, especially in the heat we're experiencing right now. We've got to air the house out. Open the windows. Let God pull back the stone and air out all the stuff going on in your lives. So what does Jesus do next? They pull back the stone. And it says, Jesus says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. One commentator observed that if Jesus hadn't called Lazarus by name, all the dead would have come out. And I think it's an interesting point because there's such power in Jesus' commands. What bursts forth is Lazarus, risen from the dead. The power of God over death. And in verse 40, Jesus says, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And really, that's what it comes down to. There's a bigger picture here that God sees. That we as finite beings in our own little towns, in our own little worlds, cannot possibly understand or fathom. And sometimes God allows things to happen in life that we can't explain. And to us seem wrong, to seem like, why, why would you do this? And there comes a place where we have to trust and say, Lord, you know, you know all things. You are in control. I don't understand this, but I will trust you anyway. You know, most of us think that death or losing your life is probably the worst thing that can happen to us. Most of us try to avoid it. And in one sense, yes, death is the worst thing that can happen to you if you're without Jesus Christ. But if you have Jesus in your life, then death is nothing to fear at all. It's something that's already been destroyed, been beaten. It actually opens the door to the most amazing life. A life we can't even really imagine because our imaginations are too limited. But the joy waiting for us when we move from this life to the next is literally out of this world. We'll be able to look back on this life that we've spent on this earth 
and realize that the 70, the 80, the 90, the 100, whatever you're lucky to be given of years of life you had on this earth were a drop in the ocean compared to the eternity that waits us when we place our trust in Jesus Christ. But we have a choice to make of how we deal with these things in life. Do we run from God or do we run to him? So back to the story about the mother and the three children. Remember the story I began with? The two sons and the daughter. Well, that story is a true story. You see, the mother was my mother. And the brother was my brother. The sister was my sister and I was the youngest son. We have a choice when life deals these things to us. We can reject God like my brother or we can fall on our knees and cry out, Lord, I don't know why this is happening, but I trust you. I know you are faithful and just. And that one day you'll show me. You'll take me, you'll put your arm around me and you'll just say, okay, when you were going through this, I knew what you were going through. And I want to show you why. Allow Jesus to roll back the stones in your life as well. Know that behind those stones lies life, resurrection. Know that Jesus is in control and that he sees the big picture and that death has no power over those who have put their faith and trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that... um, There is nothing out of your hands, and that includes death. I know that a number of us, Lord, are dealing with uh, the, the sadness and the grief and the loss of death. But Lord, we know that there is a hope in us that transcends all of that. We know that you are a good, loving God who loves his children. Help us to in times of trouble and grief, Lord, to not walk away from you, Lord, but to run into your arms. I lift up all those, Lord, who are grieving today, both those who are sitting in our midst and those around the world who are experiencing loss and grief and suffering. I pray, Lord, that you would touch their hearts, that you would show them who's in control, who is the king. We thank you, Lord, and we love you, and we place our trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.